0: Good morning to each of you once again. Good to see everyone's smiling faces here this morning. I want to encourage you to have a Bible handy as we are preparing to study a portion of the Word of God. We're going to begin by noticing a few verses in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 16. In the context of these verses, the prophet Samuel had been tasked with anointing the next king of Israel, and he went to see a man named Jesse, and Jesse had several sons whom he lined up before Samuel, and Samuel is looking them over and We pick up here in verse 6, and it says that, So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab, and he said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But we find that the Lord speaks in response to what Samuel says, and he says, Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We, of course, know that David was the son of Jesse, who was not present at this time, but was the one that the Lord had selected to be the next king. But we learn an important principle. From what we find recorded here, and that is that God does not look at things the way that we often do. He does not look at us the way that we often look at one another.
1: It's not uncommon for human beings to put on a show, to pretend, and sometimes we Relegate
0: those kinds of things to young children who are pretending, playing, or we relegate that to professional actors, people who for a living pretend to be this person or that person in movies and plays and things of that nature. But I would submit to you this morning that it's something that most people do every day in some capacity. We pretend to be certain things so that when other people look at us, they see
1: what we want them to see. I want us to think this morning about our
0: faith and the genuineness of our faith. The title of our lesson is Coat Rack Religion." And as you maybe noticed that on the bulletin, perhaps you read that and thought, well, what's that all about? I fear that so many who would claim to be Christians, and perhaps even we ourselves at times, we treat our faith like a coat. And on Sunday mornings, as we walk out the door to come to services, we pick up that coat and we put it on. And now we've got on our our Christ coat, if you will. And so we're going to go and we're going to present
1: ourselves as faithful Christ followers. But then... The service ends and
0: we go our separate ways and we go back to our homes and we take that coat off and we hang it up on the coat rack, if you will, and we leave Christ there hanging until the next time we need to appear righteous or holy to someone that we want to look that way to in the world. And so we live our lives how we want to live them and kind of use Christianity as this cloak whenever it's convenient. You know, when I think about this concept, I always think about Mr. Rogers. I don't know how many of you remember Mr. Rogers. I'm sure everybody here at least knows who I'm talking about. But I used to watch that show as a child and one of the things that always has stuck in my mind was the beginning of the show. You Remember what? He would always, he'd come in and he'd always change his coat, right? And then he'd change his shoes and do some other things. But I'm afraid that if we're not careful, if we're not honest, I guess really is the, the key, that
1: perhaps our faith can be nothing more than just make-believe.
0: I don't worry, I don't have a, a puppet show planned to run with the Mr. Rogers theme. But are we just pretending? Are we
1: just using our Christianity when it's convenient? Or are we truly
0: transformed? That's really what we want to think about this morning. Again, a lot of people look at their faith as this big show. And that's nothing new. It's not like this is some modern day revelation that all of a sudden people started treating their faith this way. It's something that we see throughout the Bible. And not even just in the New Testament, as we're going to look at the New Testament here in a minute and look at the Pharisees in particular, but we see it even further back in time with the Israelites in the book of Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 7. Now, we know, of course, as we think about the context of this passage, that at the time, Jeremiah was a prophet the northern tribes of Israel had been carried away into captivity by the Assyrians because they had continually rebelled against God to the point that God said, well, what I have warned you about is finally going to come to fruition. And so the southern tribes are left, namely the tribe of Judah, and Jeremiah is sent out as a prophet to the southern kingdom, to try and warn them and say, look, you saw what happened with our brethren in the north. But yet they followed the same path. And so he's describing here, really God is is describing, what these people are doing and what their mindset has become. And so he asks the question, will you steal and murder and commit adultery and swear falsely? and burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know, and then come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all of these abominations. Has this house which is called by my name become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. And so what were they doing? Well, just the very thing we'd been describing, right? They were out here from day to day doing all these terrible, sinful things, whatever pleased them, whatever seemed right or good to them, even if it was harmful to other people around them. But then they would come into the house of the Lord and they would go through the ceremony, if you will, of offering sacrifices and doing the things that had been outlined by God in the law. And they would think, well, we're going through these motions, so we're delivered to just live however we want to live. As long as we follow these patterns that the Lord has laid down and we go through the right steps,
1: then it doesn't really matter how we live from day to day. But the Lord saw through that. Come with me to the New Testament here in Matthew
0: chapter 23. We're going to jump around a bit in this chapter. We're going to start with verse 1, but then jump down and notice a few other sections of the chapter as well. We find here that Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples. And he said, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. In other words, they're in a position of authority amongst you, we might say. And so therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But he says, do not do according to their works, because they say, and then they do not do. They'll they'll tell you the right things as far as what God has said is is correct, but then by their manner of life, it, it contradicts the very things that they're proclaiming are necessary to be followed. And he goes on and he says that they will bind these heavy burdens which are difficult to bear, They'll lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers, not even make a little bit of effort in trying to do these things themselves. And he says, all their works they do just to be seen by men. And so they make their phylacteries broad and they enlarge the borders of their garments. They love to have the best places at feasts and the best seats. In the synagogues, they love to receive greetings in the marketplaces and to be called by men rabbi or teacher. And so he begins to prescribe these woes to these individuals that he's describing as we continue down through the chapter. Verse 23, he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He calls them hypocrites. Hypocrites. The word hypocrite has its roots in the idea of an actor, someone who's just pretending. It's the very thing that we're talking about. He says, you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. It's not that the details are unimportant but we have to understand the reason behind the details. In other words, he says, blind guides who strain out a gnat, but yet swallow a camel. In verse 27, again, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So even so, you outwardly appear righteous to men,
1: but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Are we like these individuals?
0: Is this all religion is for us, just a show? Just a way that we can... Have people think of us as good people?
1: Have a a nice opinion of us? Or is it something deeper? Is it something more? Do we really have faith? We know faith is necessary.
0: The Hebrew writer identifies that course, there's several places we could go to establish that point, but in Hebrews 11, as you see cited there on the screen, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that would come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so if we truly believe in God, and we want to be right with God, have a relationship with Him, faith is necessary. And what is faith? How do we define faith? Well, it's kind of defined there in that same verse. It's multiple components, both believing in God, but also diligently seeking God. We might say it's an evident trust in God. Evident because without a lifestyle that reflects what we claim to believe, as we're going to notice, James
1: says, it's empty, it's it's useless. We know that faith begins with knowledge.
0: Oft quoted is Romans 10, And verse 17, which tells us that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Faith is more than knowledge, as we've said, but it begins with knowledge. If we truly have faith, then it means that we are spending time knowing what God has said is correct. In Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, Jesus, or not Jesus, but God, they're expressed that my people are destroyed. Why? He says,
1: for a lack of knowledge. His people had forgotten the truth.
0: We know that God has given us everything that we need
1: to know to have Saving faith. In 2 Peter 1, verse 2 beginning,
0: Peter says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you. In what? He says, It's in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Again, through what? Through the knowledge of Of him who's called us by glory and virtue. By which we've been given exceedingly great and precious promises. That through these we may be partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We have all things that pertain to life and godliness. That pertain to true faith. And faith, as we said, must be expressed. Otherwise, it is not faith at all. Come with me to the book of James. And that should be chapter 2. you got to watch me. Sometimes I type the wrong number. <laughs> but in James chapter 2, we're going to read starting in verse 21 there. And here, James is discussing this idea of faith without works and whether or not it is faith at all. And he uses the example here of Abraham as he describes these things. He says, was Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works And by works, faith was made perfect, or perfected. The scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Verse 24, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. In other words, just the belief in the idea or the fact. It has to be expressed through our obedience. And he cites another example with Rahab in verse 25. He says, Rahab the harlot was justified by her works, by her obedience when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. He says, as the body without the spirit is dead. That's what happens when we depart from this life. It is our spirit
1: separating from this physical flesh, leaving the flesh dead. He says, faith
0: without works, likewise, is dead. Faith is not just avoiding that which is sinful. It's important, and we often talk about We don't want to do this, we don't want to do that, because God has said it is sin.
1: But just as important is to engage that which is right. Faith will not work without love.
0: In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6, Paul there made the statement and he said that circumcision and uncircumcision do not avail anything. In the context he'd been reasoning with those in Galatia about how the things from the old law were no longer applicable under the law of Christ. And so he's saying these things from the old law, it's, it's not important anymore. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised or uncircumcised. But what does avail? He goes on to say, it is faith working. That's what we've just talked about. But what does faith work through? He says, faith working through love. You think about the commands that were given in the New Testament alone. And of course, they all are echoed throughout the entirety of God's Word. We know God has not changed. But as we think about the commands we have in regards to each other, we know we're to be kind to one another, right?
1: We're to forgive each other. We're to be patient with each other.
0: If we don't love each other, are we going to do any of those things?
1: If it's just the opposite, if if we despise each other,
0: I'm sure you can think back at a period of time in your life where you had somebody that just, you just couldn't stand them for whatever reason. Maybe they just, the way that they chewed their food or something... Maybe it was much more serious than that. Maybe they actively tried to mistreat you, but for whatever reason, they just irritated you. Maybe they're still around. Maybe there's still somebody that you have a hard time being patient with or whatnot. But when you have that kind of an attitude towards someone, you're very unlikely to be nice to them, right? Or to do any of the kinds of things we've just been describing. We, we try and avoid them.
1: Oftentimes we go as far to maybe insult them or be rude to them in some way. You see, when you take love out of the equation, faith, it it can't operate, it can't work.
0: And obviously, primarily, we have to have a true, genuine love for God. Because if we don't love God, then we're certainly not going to love one another. I'd like us to notice some of what James writes in chapter 3, and we're actually going to make our way into the first part of chapter 4 as well as we read. We're going to start in chapter 3 and verse 13, and then we'll stop in chapter 4 and verse 4. But James asks a question here. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Notice again, as he has been talking about in chapter 2, he says, Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Again, it's not just about claiming to be wise, claiming to be knowledgeable and and right. It's about demonstration of that. But he goes on and says, If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, Do not boast and lie against the truth. Don't claim to
1: be wise. Don't claim to have faith in God. Because these things are contrary to God.
0: He says, This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly. It is sensual. It is demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Now he goes back to the wisdom that is from above. He says it is first pure and then peaceable and gentle. It is willing to yield. Willing to deny self for the benefit of others, in other words. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It is without partiality and without hypocrisy. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. But then, again understanding that men have injected these verse numbers and chapters into the original text, James isn't done speaking there at the end of chapter 3. He continues his thought into chapter 4. He says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? He says, you lust, and you do not have, and so you murder, and you covet, but still cannot obtain, and so you fight and you war. He says you ask, or you do not have because you do not ask. And he says you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. He says adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself An enemy of God. He's describing people here who we've been trying to describe in our thoughts together this morning. People who don't really have a love for God. Not a real love for God. Now they maybe love some of the things that God can do for them. And that's what he's describing here. These people who... Deep down, they're consumed with their own self-seeking, selfish ways. And so they perceive something they want, something that in their minds they need that's going to satisfy their selfish cravings. And so they grab that Christ coat and they put that on and they go and they pray to God and say, God, please give me this thing that I so desperately need that I long for. James says, you're asking amiss. You're using God like some kind of vending machine that whenever I need something, whenever something's wrong, I'm going to go and push the button until God drops down the blessing that I want. Then I'm going to go out and use that to continue my own selfish pursuits. And once I have that, I'll put that coat right back on the coat rack
1: and let the dust continue to collect. We must be holy every day, everywhere. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, the Hebrew writer
0: instructs us that we should pursue peace. And not just peace, but he says pursue holiness without
1: which you will not see the Lord. When the judgment day arrives and we find ourselves standing before
0: the almighty creator of heaven and earth. We're not going to be able to grab the coat off the rack and say, "Now hold on. Don't enact
1: your vengeance. I have the coat on. We have to be honestly pursuing God's
0: perfection. Matthew 5 and verse 48, Jesus says, You shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And he's not saying that he expects that we're going to get to a point where we never sin, that we never stumble, that we never make a mistake.
1: But what are we seeking? What is our aim? What is our highest priority in life?
0: Is it just to appear righteous to men or is it to be righteous? Because we love God and we understand God's love for us and what God has done to deliver us from an eternity separated from him. Being holy is acknowledging our sins. As John wrote there in 1 John chapter 1, he says we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, John
1: says He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Holiness involves humility. Look with me here in Second Peter chapter three and verse fourteen.
0: Peter's been describing this final day, this day of judgment, and what is going to happen to the physical creation on that day, how that the elements themselves are going to be melted with this fervent heat, that everything that we see from a physical standpoint is going to pass away. And Peter says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, Notice, be diligent to be found
1: by Him in peace without spot, to be found blameless. Have we truly put on Christ? You know, the more that I have thought about this, the common illustration,
0: and I guess the one that we've borrowed even for our purposes this morning is we think about putting on Christ as though we're putting on a garment, like a coat. But when we really think about it, it's it's so much more intimate than that. It's not just a coat that can be taken off and tossed aside whenever it's convenient and we want to go back to Serving self instead of God. The idea of becoming a new creature, a new creation, as Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Those that are in Christ have become a new creation, he says. We need to think about putting on Christ not as a garment, but as our very
1: skin. We have a new identity. It's not something we can just pretend because it's who we are. Ask yourself this morning, who am I? Who am I when nobody's around? Who am I when I'm with this group of people
0: versus that one? Are we the same person or are we like a chameleon that depending upon our surroundings, depending upon the people that we're with, we just kind of morph and change and sometimes we've got our Christian coat on but then we're over here and now
1: we're doing these things and things that would be blasphemous. Do we take it seriously? Matthew
0: chapter 22, Jesus talks about this parable of a wedding feast. And, of course, the parable is to illustrate how that God, in his plan of salvation, the original guests that were invited to his supper, his feast, were, of course, the Jews but then the Jews rejected the invitation, at least the majority of them. And so the Gentiles had that invitation extended to them. And thank God for that, because I think we're all Gentiles here this morning. But the parable goes on and talks about how that the servants of the king, they went out and they invited literally everyone they could find. Not just the select group of people here or those that looked this way or that way or were from this heritage or that one, but they went out into the highways and the byways and they found the poor and the lame and the maimed. Anyone they could find and all were invited and the house was filled. But then we get to the end of the parable and we read about this particular guest. It says, The king came in to see his guests and he saw a man there who did not have on the wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here
1: without, we might say, the proper attire? And it's interesting to me that the man was speechless. And
0: dare I say, if we are standing before the king on that final day...
1: And we are claiming to be part of this this feast.
0: But we don't have that transformed life. We don't have on the right attire. It's all just been a show. What are we going to say?
1: We're going to be speechless as well. Because what can you say? The king said to the servants, bind him, hand and
0: foot, take him away, and cast him into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few
1: are chosen. We've made this point time and time again. You read through the word of God. You read so many situations
0: that arose where judgment had finally come and how many escape the punishment. It's always just a handful, just a few. Jesus said in Matthew 7 that the way is narrow
1: that leads to life. Difficult is the way and few there be who find it. Jesus said in John 15 and verse 5, I am
0: the vine and you are the branches. And he who abides in me
1: and I in him bears much fruit. But he says, without me, you can do nothing. What is the process of putting on Christ? How does that happen?
0: Well, just as we talked about earlier, it is that evident trust in God and in the instructions He's provided
1: us. Jesus Himself said, He who believes in Me and is baptized
0: will be saved. Will be transformed, will be cleansed. Paul says in Galatians 3 and verse 26 that we are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For, or in demonstration of that faith, what have we done?
1: As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So what about you this morning? Have you truly put on Christ? One final passage
0: and then the lesson will be yours. Matthew chapter 13. We have a couple different parables that Jesus taught, but... Here in the verses that we're considering, Jesus has taught the parable of the wheat and the tares, and he's explaining that parable to his disciples who had inquired as to the meaning of it. In verse 37, he says, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, in other words, Jesus himself. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but remember the tares grew up as well. He says the tares are the sons of the wicked one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. And so he explains that as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be. At the end of this age, the Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather notice, out of his kingdom. what's the kingdom? It's the church. They will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend those who practice lawlessness, and they will be cast into the furnace of fire, and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Are you wheat? or are you a tear are you a a weed that is planted amongst the wheat but is just pretending we
1: might say in the end god is going to sort it all out
0: i hope that these thoughts have been helpful to you this morning as we all should continually be seeking to be honest with ourselves and to be striving to be better today and going forward than we have been in the past. And I hope that this lesson will serve as a means of achieving growth for us all. If you're here this morning and you are in need of putting on Christ in baptism, you're in need of perhaps confessing a fault, asking for forgiveness, asking for help from your family here, whatever your need would be, if it is of a spiritual nature, we would love to assist you with
1: that. And so at this time, as we're about to stand and sing this song, if there's anyone here who's in need, please come up to the front.